Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to head performance coach at the Golden State Warriors, Carl Bergstrom. Thanks for tuning in to episode 331 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Carl to this episode today. And it's been a long time coming, as I say, seem to say every single week. But this episode started off with a question which was, can basketball players get better in season? Can players in the NBA get better in season? And this took us on down a track of shifting the perception of what ideal is the potential are real roadblocks which are obvious in the NBA which that schedule the load management all that kind of stuff then we talk about maximizing that potential and that's where we talk about the programming so eccentrics nice and metrics the, the regular stimulus that these guys get and dealing with those peripheral players that don't get full game time but need topping up so they're ready to go next and really what the environment is like for a performance coach in the NBA and how that's juggled with family relationships and just what's expected of a performance coach really so delighted to bring Carl hope you enjoy this episode and love your feedback this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Perch. Perch enables velocity-based training, no strings attached. Engineered at MIT, Perch uses small and mobile cameras to monitor and manage weight room performance without detracting from it. By passively collecting speed and power data, delivering it in real time to athletes and storing it for post-workout analysis, Perch enhances workouts, reduces injuries and saves time. Perch works with every level of organization, from the 2019 National Championship LSU football team to the NFL's New York Giants, military installations, high schools, and to a number of growing sports performance facilities and even individual garage gyms. Perch is portable, easy to install, and intuitive to use, making it ideal for every facility and every training goal. No more pre-workout setup, no more attachments to athletes and barbells, no more broken strings. Set Perch up once and optimize every rep. Reach out to Perch today and for exclusive deals and offers, tell them Rob sent you by going to perch.fit forward slash Pacey. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Kitman Labs. So Kitman Labs partners with leading sports teams to help them consistently achieve the highest levels of performance by increasing the impact of their data. So over 200 teams across the globe rely on Kitman Labs' performance intelligence platform to quantify the cost of performance and injury and receive the right insights at the right time. Through unique outcome-driven analytics and the most advanced athlete management system, teams can align their organizations around a shared view of what it takes to drive performance and health and move at the speed of sport to adjust and continuously improve. If you want to know more about Kitman Labs, head over to www.win.kitmanlabs.com forward slash impact. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by I Measure You. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field, IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. 
So iMeasure U have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident, which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. iMeasure U, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defense and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about iMeasure U, head over to their website imeasureu.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at iMeasureU. So without further ado, over to the episode with Carl Bergstrom. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. This evening, I am delighted to welcome Carl Bergstrom. So welcome to the podcast, mate. Thanks very much. Thank you very much for coming on. It's been a long time. It's been a long time of me stalking you. We've gone all, we've gone all mediums. We've gone iMessage. We've gone emails. We've gone WhatsApp. <laughs> so thank you, for, thank you for putting up with me over the last year or so. But anyone that doesn't know who you are, Carl, just want to give us a bit of a introduction on yourself and uh, what you're currently doing. Yeah, uh, thank you very much. I'm, I'm excited to be on. Uh, so I am born and raised in Vancouver, British Columbia in Canada, uh, so west coast of, of Canada. I, I grew up there, uh, <clears throat> had a really keen interest in sports, but I actually didn't get into kinesiology till my third year of college at University of British Columbia. Uh, just got really interested in it, into training. I uh, ended up doing my master's there. Um, all, all, you know, over an eight-year period seems like it, it's such a, a short window. But I, I ended up working in the private sector, working uh, in the, for the women's national team for for soccer or football, whichever one we want to call it. Uh, Vancouver Whitecaps, which is MLS, a uh, little stint, a uh, little contract with the Canucks. Worked with all sorts of athletes, um, and then uh, this is my third year with the uh, Golden State Warriors. So I've kind of had experiences in multiple different environments, professional or private, different sports, worked with all sorts of different environments, which is, you know, probably one of my favorite parts of my career. And now I've been fortunate enough to, to be here and, uh, and live, live in San Francisco and work with a really great group. So head performance coach, is that what you came in the organization as, or is that developed since then? No, I, I came in with that role. Okay. Yeah. So you were coming into a, an extremely successful organization. How how was that? That that that, that was uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, different, you know. So coming from well, we'll call it football, football, soccer. Coming from MLS, we had an incredible group. The MLS is just a different environment, you know. Um, a little bit smaller scale, but everybody's very committed, uh, very structured. Um, you know, I wouldn't change anything there. It was so great. And then to come here where uh, it's one of the biggest organizations in the world for sport, um, a tremendous amount of success. The reality is, is I, when I came in, I came in with um, my mentor and director, Rick Celebrini and Jerry Ramajita, who were both actually from Vancouver as well. We came down and, you know, we, we took a very conservative approach to not try to mess things up, you know, um, just uh, sit back, observe, uh, learn the landscape, the environment, um, build relationships and then try to uh, adapt our processes just to make sure that we could continue flowing versus coming in and try to uh, fix something that's not broken. I'm interested in how you got the how you got the job. Yeah, I'm interested in that, them kind of stories. Is it a, like sliding sliding doors moment or was it? It's um, more structured? 
you know, coming back to the, the initial point, every single environment that I've been in, um, I've been really fortunate and I've really gone out of my way to meet good people. Um, people are really everything in, in our community and our strength and conditioning, you know, it, it's so important in every environment, whether it's, you know, the Canadian national team with Cesar Milan, who was there and, and he, you know, what he provided me or with the Vancouver Whitecaps, you know, John Poley, um, who was the head fitness coach there. I always had people, you know, around me who I, I learned from and, and created really good uh, mentorship. And the person who, you know, is the biggest one there is Dr. Rick Celebrini, who you know, I've been working with him now for 10 years. Um, and we just, you know, ever since I started working with him, we had a, a good relationship and we we're side by side. I even trained his, his kids a little bit because they're really good hockey players. And uh, when he was offered the director role, um, he offered me the position. And, and I was so grateful to be able to, you know, come out down here and, and try to build something special with him. But really came with um, our relationship and him trusting that I could, you know, come down here with him and, and be impactful. Interesting. So what what is it? I mean, I've, I've spoke to people who are who are working in the NBA and people who have got into the NBA and those that have that have maybe left and gone to other sports. And it just seems crazy. Like <laughs> schedule, schedule, like the, the, the bright lights, the the entertainment, and you guys do that incredibly well over there. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is the environment really like for, for you who's been there for a couple of seasons? Like how did you deal with all that that I've just explained in that in the first couple of months, and yeah, just give us a picture of what it's really like to work um, in an organization, an organization like that. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. It's uh, it's it's managing the best way to put it is, is learning to manage a very complex and and uh, ever changing environment and and adapting to it. Uh, coming from football, um, you know, it's very structured. You you play once or twice a week. Um, you know, the rhythm of training is a little bit more sustainable, you know, if you have like a, a YTP and, and how you want to load things. And of course you adapt depending on, on playing styles, et cetera, et cetera. But there is a little bit more room for, for structure. Um, coming to the NBA, like, you know, if I'm going to paint a picture for you, um, I won't say this season because COVID's obviously changed things, but last year from October 24th to April 15th, if we had played a full schedule, so under six months, we have 82 games, um, 12 back-to-backs, 59 flights. Um, we play on every major holiday. So Christmas, Thanksgiving, you know, that's that's a big part of the league. So <laughs> it's very, very dense. And um, and the league does a really good job and the players do a really good job in adapting. But you can't really understand it or feel it until you're in this environment. And, and there's so much more to it than just the physical demands on court. You know, so you might have players who don't play much or play two to four to six minutes and, and you know, you want to push them and, and, and make sure that you're maintaining a certain quality of, of uh, sharpness. But even those guys, the, the amount of demand on them with travel, with, with media, with uh, their own brand, with their families, the, the people who are involved in their process privately, like there's a lot to consider. And so it, it can, you know, it can be overwhelming. Um, but we were really fortunate when we came here, um, there was my, again, Rick, who's the director of, um, uh, uh, sports medicine performance. And then Dr. Jerry Ramajita, who's the, the performance therapist. When we came here, um, there was still half a staff intact and they were, they were excellent, you know, in onboarding us and welcoming us and, 
and basically giving us a, a an accelerated crash course on what the environment's going to be like. So that was like a blessing in disguise. Honestly, it was it was very, 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 very um, useful. And um, you know, it, in that the group is amazing too. So you know, there, there are. I'm sure there are environments that, you know, perhaps aren't as positive, but I haven't been exposed to that. We have leaders who have incredible emotional intelligence, very welcoming, very open-minded. And um, that also helped in the transition. Uh, I, I, was, I was speaking today. This is my third season and all three seasons are so incredibly different. I, I, I could never have pictured that, you know, our first year going to the finals and the average age probably being over 30, if you actually look at our, our roster and guys who had been established and, and understood the rhythm into our second year, which is a little bit more challenging. Also, um, you know, brand new roster, average age is 23 or 24, even younger, likely. Um, and then to this year where we're kind of a hybrid of the two and we're hungry and, and it's a lot of a new roster. It's just, it's very exciting and it, it's, uh, it's never endless, like the, <laughs> the way that we have to adapt and, and evolve to the environment. What's the, what's it like for you as a as a person as a coach and your I suppose your well being and your health coach health been been a big topic of conversation on the podcast and elsewhere how do you how do you manage that and how do the staff manage that is it you smiling and laughing it's uh, I'm guessing it's an interesting one to so uh, Rob have you heard with. have you heard of the freshman fifteen from college. I don't think so. Okay, so the freshman 15 in college is your first year you go to college in North America, you put on 15 pounds just because you're away from home. Okay. And I had like the, the, a legitimate freshman 15 in the NBA. You know, you eat well, there's always food, you're never hungry, you're going to bed late, you're getting up early, you're traveling. There's no other way to put it than, you know, you just learn a rhythm. You, you can't come out too hard and try to train seven days a week because you burn out. And it took me a good six months to get into a rhythm where um, I knew when to sleep more, I knew when to train, I knew when to, you know, skip a meal, but it, it just took time. Honestly, it, it's a really good question. That's why I was laughing because we, we joke about it all the time. I guess you guys, the support network within the performance team has to be tight knit to, to get each other through that, to, to know when, yeah, like go home a couple of hours early because we know that you need it because you've had that flight there and that flight there. So I suppose it's just that internal support mechanism and and like you said, the emotional intelligence of the players, but also intel emotional intelligence of the staff to know each other and go, I can tell you're struggling, get yourself home, like we'll see you tomorrow. You you, you absolutely nailed it in the head. Like our group is, we, we meet every single day, even if it's for 10 minutes and and uh, we have very good leadership within that group. And, you know, there's days when uh, you can just tell somebody needs some time. We say, hey, get out of here. Or, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of off days based off of our schedule, but we'll cycle off days based off of needs. Or, you know, if myself, my, you know, my family uh, for my first year and part of my second year, they came back and forth from Canada just for, for different reasons. So when they were in town, you know, the group was really receptive and, you know, I, I took a little bit more time away or, or got out a little bit early and guys would cover and vice versa. You know what? We just had two, two um, staff within our, our performance group have children just recently, right when the season kicked off. So we really tried to support them. And, and you know, it, with this environment, if you have a group that you're not 
enjoying working with and, and, and they don't have each other. We don't have each other's back. It's literally impossible to succeed. So, so based on, based on that, <clears throat> based on the, the, I hate to say constraints cause you know, it's the, it's the spot and it's, it's just how it is and how it's structured, but shifting your perspective or your perception of what ideal is. And I think, how I think about that in my head when, when I ask that question, you go through university, you've got all this kind of physiology and everything you, you expect when you go into a professional environment that you run through the logical steps to get some, to improve someone, whether it be strength or whether it be, you know, conditioning or whatever it may be. But in this type, in the type of environment that you're talking about, does there have to be a shift in, okay, I know the ideal, then how do I mold that into all the things that we've just talked mm -hmm. about, which mm -hmm. is the environment and the constraints of the sport? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's really well said. Uh, you know, in school, you, you, you take steps to learn, um, you know, linear periodization and what an, a YTP might look like. And those are all incredibly important. You have to understand that. Um, and I've touched on this before, but being in different environments where uh, they prioritize different components, of, of if you want to say stimulus based off you know if you're in football um, you know the environment lends itself to doing a lot more physical conditioning and e even you know type of power and speed work everything's done on field you know and, and and you might get a strength stimulus but it takes time to build that culture and you might get you know a session a week um, and, and some other environments you might get two or three but you're not going to load them the same way as you do in a hockey environment so uh, you know, I started working primarily with development in uh, the athlete development program for ice hockey, and I could, you know, load them and load them. And even when I didn't want to load them, they'd, they'd be hungry, asking for more. And, and so you'd have to pull back and, and discuss and, and, and articulate how you want to, you know, shift that. And then that was almost like trying to hold back the athlete. And then in football, initially, you know, it was a great environment, but you had to, you know, engage them a little bit more to load and understand the loading, you know, might not make them slower as long as you're not, you know, you're doing it properly. And then, you know, every environment that we, I was in, I, I learned that um, instead of getting frustrated with not being able to have an ideal, um, you know, structure to, to what I want to do, I just tried to shift, okay, this is, this is the paradigm, you have to understand your environment, and then how do I achieve what I need to achieve, first of all, and then what I want to achieve, given, given the environment. And then, so coming here, you know everything we touched on about the the demands on and off the court in basketball <laughs> you have to be as as organized as possible but as adaptive as possible because um you're not going to have you know a schedule within you know past two weeks that's going to be the way you plan it it's just it's just not the way it is so you shift your ideal um, to understand that that is the environment that we're in and you, you're constantly organizing and restructuring, but you're, you're always, you know, learning to be adaptive, like in the moment as an athlete comes in and says, you know, I played 35 yesterday, but I'd, I'd like to get a, a good stimulus. And then you have to talk through that and then, you know, keep them engaged and, and, and work with them on a day-to-day -day basis. That's really, it's the environment. So in terms of, the the your practice is there anything that has i suppose come as a surprise in this in this sort of environment that you've had to do something that 
maybe you wouldn't have expected coming into the environment because of because of the constraints that you're in. Like you say, having to be adaptable to the player that comes in after playing 35, he's not down to do his session, but he wants to do a session. Is there anything, any other examples that you can give us that kind of, yeah, give us some practical sense of what it's like to be there? Yes, it's, that's a really good question. I, I want to make sure I answer it properly. I mean, there's, there's definitely, there's definitely examples. I think it's really, um, most coaches, they have coaching philosophies and, and staples to how they want to deliver their program and everyone, you know, who's at a high level, they, they learn to be adaptable. Um, but they have things that they hang their hat on, you know, um, I used to really like uh, Olympic, Olympic lifting variations. Um, then I realized, you know, in this environment, I probably not, not that you can't do them, but, um, you know, some sessions you have 12 to 14 minutes, you know, 15 minutes before things have to roll, or you might have a lot more time depending on the situation. And then you have to consider, okay, like you would really like to do, you know, hand clean with this athlete for X, Y, Z reasons, but what's the risk reward? You don't have a lot of time. So what are you going to take away from to get those hand cleans in? And then uh, you have to also consider, you know, shooting is how these guys make a living. So if you have any sort of effect on their wrists or anything like that on the catch, it could cost you your job and like not to say there's that type of stress, but um, there's certain things that I, I used to be staples uh, of mine from a programming perspective that I've kind of veered away from just because of time constraints and, and, and trying to keep things simple and, and trying to, you know, grasp the concept of low hanging fruit and, and try to just make sure we get what we need to get in on a regular basis so that we don't fall out of that rhythm. So you mentioned a minute ago, I wrote it down about changing, knowing what you want to achieve, but potentially changing how you go about doing that. Mm -hmm. From a head performance coach, what is it that you want to achieve? And the thing that we spoke about beforehand that kind of set the scene for this was, can we make our players better or can you make your players better in season because of all the things that, We've just spoken about the environment, the constraints. What is it that you want to achieve? What's the core of your day-to-day work that at the end of the season you can say, okay, I think I think we got there or we need to change things for next season? Mm-hmm. Yeah. As simply as simple as you can put it, any on any, any given night, you know there might be fatigue that is out of your control. But on any given night, if a player is called upon, whether he hasn't played in ten games or he's been playing every single day, does he have the physical requirements um, to play? And, and and you know, you know, in different sports, you might they might play, but they might play four minutes. A, a player might be you know asked of twenty five minutes when he hasn't played in two three weeks. So, any given day, are they physically fit enough? Um, and and ready to compete if they have to. So that's that's a, a no brainer. Two is is have have do not affect their ability to play. So we have to load them and we have to be strategic in how we load them. But if a player pulls up with a hamstring because you know my ego got in the way and I wanted him to push a little bit more weight, like that's my fault. That that is my fault. Um, 
so making sure that you know what we're doing off court isn't affecting what they're doing on court because the demands are already high enough and then obviously game availability is is key so making sure that um if they do miss time uh, they miss the least amount of time that they need to and then they're available for as many games as possible that that's a simple way to put it um i think where we're going to go with this is um how and uh, again it's different environments you learn and, and when i was it, to be to be honest like when i was in soccer initially i was like how how are we not loading these guys more um and i had a a good friend and mentor there who who just he had played soccer and but he was really proficient in the weight room and he said little bits often and sometimes we'd start with you know two three two three sets of two and three you know you know six to nine reps and i'm like asking myself at this young age like what are we going to achieve here honestly and then three four months later that same athlete you know has had these these physical gains in season because they went from never having true exposure in the weight room to consistently microdosing some real strength you know primaries and and getting confident in there and suddenly you can load them the way you need to load them but it's just taking time so it's like it's just understanding that you know the concept of kaizen and, and making sure you're just chipping away little little bits every day and microdosing making sure you're getting the absolute needs but then being patient with the gains that you're trying to achieve and understanding it's 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 not a four-week block i know we're going to come on to this later but i think we're we're here now so we'll, we'll yeah. tackle it yeah but the, the the programming and the the microdosing can you give us some examples of what that looks like like how are you for you talked about your move away from or move away from the emphasis of olympic lifts mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How have you integrated that? What what changes have you made there? What does the microdosing look like from a on a day to day basis? Um, all that stuff. Yeah, some examples would be would be great. Yeah, um, and I and I do want to be clear. Like I, I am a big fan of Olympic lifts, and and when when the the time is appropriate, um, would, would you know I'd like to use it. It's just it's, it's challenging in this environment and. Um, and, and there's obviously a huge technical learning curve. So that's another factor. A lot of these guys, they're, to be honest, they're, they're a bit um, weary of it because they did it in college a ton. So um, that's just the Olympic uh, lifting piece. Microdosing, honestly, like to keep it as simple as possible, if you can get, you know, a relative max strength stimulus for high minute player once a week. Um, and, you know, um, if they're not getting the speed power exposure off court, you can you can work it into pregame sessions. So we'll, we'll call them potentiation sessions. But um, on a regular or semi-regular semi basis, we'll get some form of uh, speed power work before the game just to make them, you know, one, give them that potentiation effect, but also chip away at getting some volume of, of, of quality work before they go into those environments. So that's That's been a big one, whether it's med ball work or a, a speed trap bar or a squat jump. It, it depends on the athlete. Um, but that's, you know, two, three two, three games a day or uh, two, three games a week. We'll get that as long as they're not under a fatigue state. Um, we've got a great little culture of, of getting in again. It's not a, a ton, but a, a 12, 14, 15 minute lift post game. Uh, if guys are, are feeling up to it and, and, um, and we, you know, we've got the music going and it might be, you know, if we have a dense, uh, training or a, a dense week of games, we, we might not, you know, stay away from knee dominant exercises or exercises that are going to 
uh, accumulate more fatigue on, on the knees and the Achilles and calves, but we might still get that strength stimulus um, as we flow through. Uh, and then versus a week where we have, uh, say, two games or or we have three games, but then we have a day off and a practice day. So we have 72 hours between games. We'll load them. You know, we'll take we'll take care of that window and 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 perhaps go more knee dominant, go work in some eccentric type style, uh, style work. So so they can they can get that stimulus, but also have time to recover and not not affect their games. Is that planned beforehand? I'm just thinking of the like the microdosing post game. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. It's not, I'm just in my in my head. I'm thinking, put myself in that environment. If I win and play well, I'm lifting. I'm feeling good. I'm in there. But that's planned beforehand. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. So the, we all the way we do here is our, our performance coaches. There's uh, four of us, um, and and there's myself, and then there's. Um, three other individuals who are performance coaches. One is more involved with nutrition. One's more involved with the sports science. One's more is actually a dual with uh, athletic therapists, but we all have um, people who are responsible for. So we have more contact points with those athletes and that way you, there is that individualization piece, but we all, you know, every two days before a week starts, we'll sit down and we'll discuss the week. You know, um, how many games do we have? What does our travel look like? Um, you know, what does this player need, you know, through our evaluations, like, are they trending upwards or downwards? And then we'll, we'll put together a, a pretty comprehensive plan. We'll, we'll adapt it for the individual and then based off of their minutes, based off of our conversations with them. Um, again, we might pull a lift, we might shift a lift to the morning. We might add load, we might, uh, you know, modify it. So there's no eccentric component. Like if you're doing an RDL, you might just, just do like a rack pull or, or have them drop the bar just to, you know, make little modifications, but make sure we're still getting that type of work in. Is there any reason? I mean, there is a reason clearly, but can you explain the reason why you wouldn't do the eccentric part of the RDL? Yeah, it's just, it's, it's honestly just the, the delayed, you know, depending on the load that they're doing, um, there, there's certain players who can pull a lot of weight, but they get that, that additional um, soreness at that 48 hour mark with with the eccentric components so uh, you can still you know get a response you can still give the athlete confidence that they're still lifting but then also reduce that by a little bit depending on the volume that you're doing reduce that that soreness or that fatigue that could come from that so would you place that then somewhere else in the program that's more appropriate if there is a little bit of soreness because obviously yeah so, so that's a, yeah that's a it depends on the athlete. So we, we're fortunate that we have we have 15 players. Um, we have a really beautiful facility. We have everything you could ask for. So when we have players who have spent two, three, four, like with COVID a lot more than that, but say two months with us prior to season, we know exactly where that athlete is. And our goal is to maintain the gains that they've made in that off season. So that athlete typically will feel much, far more comfortable loading them frequently um, before a game doesn't matter. It's almost like a preventative and, and pot like potentiation effect. And then you have other athletes who are still, you know, coming in physically prepared, but we haven't had contact points with them. We don't know how they lift. They might be new to the roster. We'll definitely take a very simple is better approach and, and just, you know, almost go back to the days where you might, you might do, you know, two sets of three and see how things go, um, and then progress from there. So it really depends on, 
how much time we've had with the athlete, how articulate they are with us, how confident they are in the weight room, how confident we are with how they are in the weight room, etc. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Carl. Hope you enjoyed part one. So over in part two, we discuss more around the roadblocks in the NBA, schedule, load management, but also then start to dive into the programming that goes on at the Warriors around these roadblocks. So the inclusion of eccentrics and isometrics, the regular stimulus that these guys in terms of speed exposures and how Carl and the rest of the team deal with those peripheral players that don't get the minutes but need to be ready to go should they be required next game, the game after, the game after that. So an interesting part two coming up. But just before we do dive into part two, I want to say a big thanks to Hawking Dynamics for sponsoring this episode today. So Hawking Dynamics offer the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates, in action head over to the website uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com um, which you can do and you can also schedule a demo and follow them on twitter at hawkingdynamics and also sponsoring this episode today is black box fitness so black box fitness are a sports performance equipment manufacturer based in belfast in northern ireland so if you are looking for a full gym fit out if you're lucky enough to be looking for a full gym fit out or just want to add additional pieces to what you've already got whether that be barbells dumbbells plates maybe a new rack some flooring etc etc have a little look at what black box fitness can offer so you can head to their website which is blkboxfitness.com or for a more informal view of what they do head over to their instagram because they've got some really cool images of some of the recent projects that they've run in australia in the uk in europe etc so head over to their instagram which is at blkboxfitness and they're the same on twitter i suppose well my next point is coming from my perception of the collegiate system over there and my perception that they come through that system having been coached well, you know, used to being in the weight room and they come to you guys and it's just uh, almost a continuation of, of what's been going on through college. Mm-hmm. Is that me just been very idealistic? Is that kind of, is that what how it is? Well, I only have a little bit of experience because I'm, I went to a Canadian university. I think it really depends on, you know, the, the collegiate system, they do, they, they work really hard and, and they're responsible for a lot of athletes. Most of these guys and um, all of, most of them, you know, they've had experiences um, that have, you know, primed them for that. But in the NBA, it's a bit different where a lot of players play one season in college. Um, and they're, they're playing a ton. So they might not have that extended training age, um, from, you know, a four years college for, for other sports. Um, and it depends what school they go to. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying some schools are better than others, but, uh, depending on who's running your program, they're, they're going to have very, very, very different approaches. 
Cool. Load management is the next topic that I want to. Uh, that's, your favorite, that's your favorite. That's your favorite, favorite term, right? Favorite little term. Yeah, drag that bad boy out every now and then. <laughs> so yeah. So in terms of that that phrase, I know it's got it's made its way into the media, and it's people seem to talking about it a lot in various mm. different different contexts, different situations. What does it mean? What does it mean to you? And how do you how do you manage load? Not load management, but how do you manage uh, load? The guys that are on the court a lot, but also the guys that aren't on the court a lot. Yes. Um, I. <laughs> yeah, the term the term load management is thrown out a ton, and uh, it means different things to different people. Uh, for me, load management is it's not rest. It, it could mean rest. But it's, you know, what is the, the number one indicator for a good injury prevention program is slowly and progressively building a really high chronic load for, for these athletes in their training environment. So if you can, you know, get to a point where you're safely, you safely have a high training load to play hockey, to play basketball, to play whatever you do, you know, to run, um, that's your, that with a good sound, you know, strength program and nutrition program is your staple to stay healthy. So load management is, is a strategy to try to minimize injury. Um, so when I hear load management, most people or not most people, a lot of people, they'll say, okay, just rest them and sit. And for me, it's, it's not, it, it can be a lot more, you know, if an athlete doesn't have a high chronic training load, it's, it's being smart and not putting them in, in challenging environments where, um, they haven't built up that capacity and then, you know, you might take them out of that environment, but then you might still load them, um, where they don't have the risk factors that are more associated with those injuries. So load them where there's no decision-making, but you can still get them in the weight room or you might have somebody who has degenerative changes or, or joint issues where, you know, their ability to play, you know, 70 minutes cumulative basketball is very challenging. And in that case, again, you know, rest might be important, but often it's not that they need rest, it's that they need a different type of stimulus to support them. Um, whether it's, you know, BFR or different modalities, it, it, long story short is, is load management is, is, is not rest. And that's what kills me. And it can be rest, like, don't get me wrong, but it's not just like, you know, players are sitting in the background eating popcorn because they don't want to play basketball. It's, it's, they want to, they want to play and they want to compete. And, um, it's just a strategy to make sure they have longevity in their career in that season and to help the team win. And, and that's really what it is. Load management for the guys that are playing looks like, looks differently to load management for the guys that aren't playing. Yes. They need extra load management means actually more, not, yeah. not less. Exactly. Exactly. You nailed it. Yeah. So how do, how do you manage them guys that, that I suppose that group down from the the regular stars, the, the high minute guys, mm-hmm. how do you manage them and do what you said at the start, which was ensure that they're ready to go, even if they haven't played for two weeks, three mm-hmm. weeks, four weeks, they well, can get back in. Yeah, Lorena Lorena Torres, her her podcast, she touched on a really a lot of good points of working really closely with coaches and trying to educate and. And collaborate with them to to build in a lot of the, the the fitness and conditioning required into drills. So that's always the goal. Like um, anytime we can, we're, we're fortunate. Again, our our coaching staff is um, so open minded and articulate, and 
are, sorry, not articulate. They are articulate, but so open-minded and accept, accepting of what we have to say. And, and, and if they don't understand something, um, they ask questions. And if we don't understand something, we can ask questions. It's an open, it's an open book. And, and, you know, sometimes we're on court with them. So it's really, it's, it's, it's planning, uh, and, and discussing with the, the, the director of player development and, and, and the team and, and find a little bit, you know, if, if players are, are, aren't meant to play a lot of minutes, then how can we strategically work in drills or, or, or small sided games, you know, prior to game, post game, um, the day before or the day, next day after practice. Um, and then, you know, we'll probably on a weekly basis, we'll have an outline and then we'll modify it based off of the results and, and how coach wants to, to transition, um, the game tactically and, and from a staffing perspective. How big is that tactical component for how you would condition those guys on that second layer or even the third layer down? Can you, can you, sorry, did you, can you say? Yeah, how, how would, how much influence would the technical and the, I suppose the game, the game strategy that your coaches implement, how much of an effect would that have on how you condition the players? whether it be small-sided games, you know, manipulating certain things to then get that certain technical or tactical... Yes, yeah. ...that little drip, with, but within a, within a physical conditioning session? Yes, yeah. That's a, that's a good question. It, it really... You don't want to hear this, but it, it depends. You know, at times, it's old school, but they might have a very, very tactical, non-physically loading session, and then we just have to work in fitness in between um, or, or do fitness after there's times where, you know, um, the, the t- as a team, they might go over strategies. So then when they're, when, you know, the, the, the group that's not playing or doing a small side of games, coaches will try to take those strategies and transfer into the, into those drills um, as much as possible. Our, our coaches are always trying to make sure, make sure that that's being, you know, brought home and, and and when we're doing extra extra work it's not just for the physicals for the physical the mental the tactical the technical kind of hit all four performance pillars one thing I'd, I'd written down i didn't get to during on the programming side of things was was isometrics and that's something that has probably multiple full circles of popularity and mm-hmm. uh and presence on social media and i'm just wondering what what impact or what influence isometrics has yeah 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 it's oh sorry it's uh a little bit often but it, it's often it's important i mean if you look at uh if you work back from the sport you know basketballs are really there's not a lot of real estate um i, I stole that term from david taylor uh, a lot of real estate there's not a lot of space a ton of accelerations decelerations um and a tremendous amount of load on 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 the achilles knees you know it works all the way up, but if you look at um, our in- injury data in the league, you know if you take out you know ankles and, and, and knees, it, you're, you're in a much better shape. So, bulletproofing those puppies is like a, it's it's a number one. That's like we talk about the concept of low hanging fruit um, ways that you can frequently you know bulletproof, and it's not bulletproofing, but just helping you know create some real uh, resiliency for those two points. Um, and not take away from their ability to be on court. That's that's a no-brainer. So it's it's something that you know most environments are, are working in a, on a, on a, f- a pretty high frequency. But it, it, again, it depends on the athlete. Um, so 
if if we have guys who who've spent a lot of time with us in the off season, you you build up a decent tolerance. You can you can actually load that, and 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 you know it can start from there, or it can start from a body weight, you know, a body weight isometric, and then and then work towards something where you're actually getting the loading required um, for the tendon loading. Um, but you know, even isometric like a even days where we have we want to get a strength stimulus and you have a density of games you can look at working in um, concentric only phase or isometric lower body loading where you're still getting recruitment but you're not getting um, the doms or anything like that that might affect them the following day so you can be pretty creative with programming one for um, to get in your injury prevention style work as well as for evaluation which is uh, really important for this environment because you don't have as much time as you'd like on a day-to-day -day basis. So bulletproofing the the ankle and the knee. Is there any particular strategies that you use, barring what we've already discussed, that you could possibly dive into that you may use to to go about that from an injury prevent injury injury prevention, but increasing performance as well. Uh, I mean, I, I'd like to tell you I have like a, a secret potion for this, but I, it, it's it's a simple, simple as best. You know, if 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 a player is comfortable with a shuttle, you use a shuttle. If if they've done lots of it, you can you can you can load them in a pin squat or uh, uh, not a pin squat. Just uh, you can you can load them isometrically. You know, in a stride position. We we try to keep it fresh for them too, so that that you know they're comfortable with it, but. Um, you know, we might have four or five different um, ways we load it, you know, different ways to skin the cap. But the, the, at the end of the day, we're just keeping it simple and, and just making sure that we're getting it in, you know, one to three times a week and, and building on building on it. So they're not, you know, if they're on a shuttle and, and they've been doing 80 pounds six months from there, you know, hopefully they're not doing 80 pounds for the same time. You can kind of progress that. How do you evaluate? So coming to the end of the season, I know we're, we're nowhere near that right we're nowhere near that right now but come the end of the season how do you evaluate what's gone on previously and whether you guys have been successful or whether you can take certain things forward whether certain things have to be changed what's that process look like i know we've had pretty a quick turnaround of of um of that kind of process not too long ago mm -hmm. so it'd be interesting mm -hmm. to see if that's you know what that process looks like for you guys is that possible Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you you mean from our, our group, like the performance staff? Yeah. Yeah, so um, we, we take player feedback um, really seriously. So um, a, a long conversation, I mean, long can be 10 minutes, can be 45 minutes, but sitting down and really talking to an athlete, um, prior to the season and at the end of the season is, is a, a big staple because, you know, data is important. Like, don't get me wrong, but um, if you sit down with an athlete and, and, and they, they verbalize what their goals are for a season and at the end of the year they've achieved them, um, you know, what has provided them with the tools to succeed? You know, have we helped them? Do we need to change something? How did you feel, you know, what we provided? Like, how, how did you feel that, you know, that helped you or that, that hindered you. If they came in and um, they had all these goals and none of them were achieved, why not? You know, were they disengaged? Did they have, um, you know, issues off the court that kind of limited them? Did we hurt them? You know, were they not, you know, what is, what is the issue? And that, that's honestly probably 
the single most important um, is is talking to them. And then, of course, we, we gather uh, quite a bit of information on a regular basis, but it's not cumbersome. It's kind of tied into our process, whether it's force plate jumps or some some watt bike um, testing or body weight, body comp, things like that um, to support, but not to to, you know, give a black or white, you know, answer, have I done my job? Mention the what bike testing. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you could expand on? And this, the only reason I ask is that it, it hasn't come up very often. Mm -hmm. but there's one particular conversation that it did come up with the, with uh, head of performance in the Premier League, probably five or six years ago. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested mm -hmm. to see how that thinking has, made, has developed and why you would use it and what it tells you. Yeah, um, there, there's there's a, a few people who I've who uh, I know who who kind of utilize it or or some version of it. I'll be honest, we had a, a a really intelligent physiologist with the Whitecaps who who shared that as a key strategy when he was working with athletes, and and so I I, I looked into it and I really liked it, and and you know, you can do a safe you can safely measure uh, an athlete's output. And obviously, there is a learned effect on a bike. If you're not used to being on a bike, it's, it's a bit different. But if you get enough data points where um, you can look at, you know, what their peak wattage and their average watt, wattage is, you can get a decent picture uh, of where they're sitting. If there is fatigue and, and the athlete's giving you um, a, a true effort, like that's it's pretty clear, you know. Or, or if you haven't been loading or if you've been loading too much and there's some neuromuscular fatigue, it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to be there. So... It's just, it's a way to get a, a, some data points um, and also not have the athlete feel like they're being uh, evaluated 24-7 because it, you can use it for a primer. You know, you can do five sets of it and then change the resistance on the watt bike so there's, you know, more of a, a speed or a velocity component, more of a force component. It's not force because it's, it's really not a lot of load, but you can put it as part of their training. And so, you know, we're getting information the athlete feels like you know they're prepping themselves for practice for a game, so it's kind of a win-win. So we just do super, super short, like six seconds, five seconds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Is there, is there any other regular testing that you guys do that that do does start to inform programming and all the things that we've we've discussed? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we um, like a lot of clubs, uh, the force plates are a key key variable or a, a key um, testing measure that we use uh, pretty quite frequently off season, even more so um, if, if the players are willing, it's obviously, you know, they have to be wanting to do it because the effort is, is the most important thing, but um, force plates are key, walk bike, body weight, body weight's an important one, especially with the travel and the lifestyle. Um, it's important to, to track that and, and body composition on a regular basis, but those are um, most of our key, key staples we can't wear gps in games um and and honestly like gps utilization as a league is is you know it's not it's growing but it's not what it is in, in the epl or or things like that so um but we do have um second spectrum for, for game data so uh we we have you know six or seven different different key tools that we use um but our strategy is never to allow the evaluation to hinder from the athletes day-to-day um, -day just because coming back to the point is like they have so much on their plate already 
that it's not going to be successful if if we say, hey, you know, we need 20, 20 minutes of your time to get this evaluation in. I've got one more question for you before I let you go because I know you've taken time out and right in the middle of your day. Mm-hmm. Jumping and the management of, of jumping and everyone wants that extra inch of jump height, but because they're doing so much jumping in the game, how do you then manage that and alternatives potentially to, to get that extra and increase their performance mm-hmm, mm-hmm. without adding to the overall load that they're already exposed to? What does that, where's your mind at with that? At this level, at this level, honestly, there's very few, there's very few athletes who jump under 30 inches. There's very few, you know, um, and that's, that's the reality. That's, you know, a simple KPI, but it's risk reward. So at this level to have an athlete jump higher, unless they're, you know, a first or second year athlete, um, or they're, they're really low on, on the athletic skill, which is, you know, when we would typically focus on off season anyways, but in season, um, honestly, I, I want to be careful because there are times where we want to work on athleticism as we roll through it, but in season, rarely are we going to have situations because of the, the population that we work with where it's absolutely necessary for them to jump, you know, an inch or two higher over the next two month period. So, um, jump count is used, um, at some capacity in, in different environments. Um, the NBA, even the way you, you structure practice, like, again, I, I keep coming back to how football is football, you know, you play the game, but uh, you have a rhythm of training and, and your training sessions can be quite challenging. And, and it's the same thing in the NBA, but because of our, our game density, um, you don't tend to have, you know, really long, high volume, high intensity sessions on a regular basis. So you, you, you definitely track what, what you're doing on, on non-game days, but it, it's a little bit less of a emphasis as compared to, you know, different environments. Um, uh, did I, yeah, I answered that question. Yeah. Uh, no, I was missing some of there. No, no, you're all, you're all good. You're all good. Like, like I say, I know you've taken an hour out of your mid afternoon to, uh, to come and have a chat. So I'm going to let you shoot back. I know you, you dive into a room to, uh, to get on the video as well. So I appreciate it. But Carl, if anyone's got any questions about you, your work, background, careers, etc., where's the best place for, for someone to get in touch? You know, I'm not, I don't really have a social media, like I have social media, but I'm, I'm not, I don't have, I don't have a big presence. So I'll, uh, maybe I, I'll send you uh, my email and then you can just add it to the podcast and maybe that's the best way to go about it. Yeah. Have you got, are you on LinkedIn? Nope. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No Facebook. Okay. I, I have Instagram and, and Twitter, but it's ma- mainly photos of my, my kids. Yeah. Good call. Good yeah. Call. <laughs> My hero. So we'll we'll shall link to I'll, I can link to LinkedIn. That might be the easiest one and email it. Yeah, for sure. And uh, thank you for your time. I've 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 liked your podcast for a really long time. So it's excited to to be able to share. Pleasure. It's what this is about. I mean, we we spoke for we spoke uh, last night. We've we've spoken before this. Lining it up, and it's 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 great to speak to people like yourself who are doing the work that you're doing, and uh, and then make it formal in the form of a podcast. So I appreciate your time, mate. So it's great to catch up. My pleasure. Okay. Have a great evening. Thanks, mate. Thanks for tuning in to episode 331 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. 
Really appreciate Carl's time for coming on in a, not only a hectic season because it's the NBA, but NBA plus COVID. So really appreciate Carl uh, making some time and jumping in and having a chat. Also, big thanks to the sponsors of this episode, Hawking Dynamics, I Measure You, Black Box Fitness, Kitman Labs, and Perch. Really appreciate them supporting the podcast. The podcast could not run in its current form without these guys, so I really appreciate their support. So thanks again for tuning in. Appreciate your support, and I'll chat to you next week.